Is your shopping done? I think, but I haven't wrapped everything yet. And so that always leaves me wondering, like, maybe I forgot something or somebody <laughs> or I didn't get enough for somebody or something. So it's always a baseline level of stress because I'm always very worried about not having gotten somebody something or enough. That's why you uh, have a spreadsheet to track these sorts of things. Uh, that would be wise if I was thinking that far ahead. Yes, I, I agree that that's the kind of thing I should do. I assume John has just a series of Perl scripts to figure out what to buy people. No, I don't do anything. I was thinking maybe you would have just a large number of windows. I think that that would be more you. <laughs> like maybe like one window that has like 15,000 tabs right in it. That was just like one tab for every person you've ever known for each gift that you might someday maybe want to get them, plus the ones you did get them, plus the ones you got them in the past for comparison and reference. Actually, that does make a lot of sense. You need a, you need a uh, burndown chart for a number of gifts you have to buy other people. What is a burndown chart? I was about to say there's no way Marco knows what that is. <laughs> no. It, it's, I assume this is another like business thing. Yeah. Well, it's a software development thing, but also a business thing. What happens in a burndown chart? I mean, it sounds really fun. I'm guessing it isn't. No, it's not. So you're looking for, I think it's because they look like flames if you have like a layered uh, bar chart, but you're trying to make it go down to zero. Like you're trying to make all these different things. It's like how many of X, how many of Y, how many of Z in little bars over time. And that what you're trying to do is, is drop them all to zero. So you're not buying anybody any gifts. That's the goal. I'm in the midst of reconciling our visa bill, which is making me mildly upset because it's the holidays. Like during the podcast? You're, you're doing yeah, this? I'm, almost, I'm, I'm almost done. I only have a few. If you want, we can we can discuss watching paint dry. I was about to say that I know this is hugely entertaining. We can we can walk through a, a sort algorithm on the air uh, and just like an example data set of like how a sort algorithm sorts it. That sounds super fun. Yeah, I use this app called MoneyWell, which is what a name. Just chuck your money down a well. I think their <laughs> icon was like a well at some point too. Uh, well, right now it's a bucket um, of full of money. But anyway, so I'm uh, like four transactions away from reconciling my visa bill, and then I get to pay it, um, which is super delightful because it's the holidays, and now I'm broke. Well, the the fact that your holiday purchases are already on a bill you've received means that you are way more ahead of the game than I than I am usually at the holidays. Uh, well, we should start with. Uh, this is a monumental so this is a christmas miracle to the best of my knowledge and i am not presently looking at the notes because i'm finishing reconciling my visa bill but to the best of my knowledge <laughs> you're still just how long how long do you think it'll take should we just sit here and wait no no no. wait watch this and well you can't watch because you're not seeing anything boom reconciled done how does it feel to be reconciled so great except now i got to pay this not cheap visa bill which is but you are reconciled that that is so it, it's like closure for all of your money you're, you're saying goodbye to all of your money you in, in a fully closed state that's true you, you could say i have some reconcilable differences but you've reconciled them you have reconciled differences i was, wait, was waiting for that uh you I was waiting for you to artfully work it in but i guess you just give up <laughs> you didn't think that was artful thanks a lot jerk i was pretty proud of that anyway um what the crap were we talking about i already got a sidetrack oh yeah do we or do we not have a follow-up i should take a screenshot of our show notes where there is the heading follow-up there is a single bullet and there is nothing else yeah everyone's on vacation i think we had a couple other shows where there was nothing and then i like made something up on the fly but i don't even have anything to make up because everyone is off everyone's watching star wars and they're on vacation and they're not sending us follow-up uh, to that end, can we establish that I have not seen Star Wars, and I presume Marco hasn't either, and so I do not wish to talk about it, and I do not... <laughs> you assume Marco never will, so... That's true. Well, actually, I wanted to start this episode with, with a bit of a game, uh, with a, a uh, three truths and a lie. 
See, Marco knows things from corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's icebreaker they use. So, so there's here's here's three truths. Three statements of these are true, and one of them is a lie. And you have to figure out which one is the untrue statement. Are there any of are any of these things Star Wars spoilers? No. Okay. Number one, I wrote my first Swift code. Not possible. Number two, I played Journey. Number three, I went to see Star Wars. And number four, I started using Pinterest. I went to see Star Wars is the lie because Marco doesn't see things. Casey? I would concur with that, but it's hard to vote against you actually writing. Like, there's no way you've written Swift. You're such an old man that there's no way. But I would have to agree with John that you that that is the lie that you you have you have not seen Star Wars. You should have gone with your instinct, Casey. Really, you saw Star Wars and I didn't. I saw, Tiff and I went today to a movie theater to see Star Wars. Wow! How did that? How whose idea was that? I'm flabbergasted. It was actually my idea, but she was also planning on on wanting to go and, and going anyway, so it was kind of mutual. Did you do this just so you could read the internet without worrying about spoilers, or maybe Tiff did it was worrying about spoilers if you weren't? <laughs> well, part of it was because I like I basically have no podcasts left in my podcast player that I can play without being about Star Wars. Like everything that I have to listen to this week is about Star Wars, and I've listened to everything else. So you were actually concerned about hearing Star Wars spoilers. That means, like, otherwise you'd be like, whatever, Star Wars spoilers. I'm listening. I don't care. I'm never going to see it. Well, so the greatest thing is, you know, all of you Star Wars fans have been trying so hard to avoid spoilers to go into ridiculous lanes. I successfully avoided any spoilers about the movie simply by just not really caring about the movie. <laughs> I didn't put any effort into avoiding spoilers, but I went into the theater today knowing nothing about it and being pleasantly surprised by everything in it. <laughs> See, funny how that works. Yeah, I I have I would say I've been avoiding spoilers, but I haven't been going to particular lengths to do so it's just if i see like a tweet fly by that looks like it might be spoiler uh, uh, there might be a spoiler in it then i'll just skip over it and i haven't been reading reviews or anything like that i've asked friends that have seen it do you like it and that's all i've asked and you know i've gotten some hints as to the quality of the movie but i've not seen it i'm hoping that aaron and i will be able to see it maybe even tomorrow actually but um but I am still avoiding spoilers. And I think my time is running out because I think the internet has kind of collectively decided, from what I can tell, that shortly after Christmas, all bets are off and, and everyone's going to talk about everything. Right. And that's, that's part of why I went to see it, because I'm fine ignoring major cultural events. I've never seen any of Lord of the Rings, never seen Harry Potter, never seen Twilight's, anything like that. Like, most of like the big movie franchises I've either never seen or I've seen some a long time ago and then never again. Let me help you. Uh, Lord of the Rings, big waste of time. Harry Potter's pretty good. Uh, reverse that. Uh, please email John. <laughs> anyway, so but this one, this one felt very, very important to my circles, like more so than those other ones did. And also, I I have seen the other Star Wars movies. I I did enjoy them. You know, I am a Star Wars fan. I'm just not like a massive Star Wars fan, but I am a Star Wars fan. You know, in general. So I did want to see it at some point. I was planning on watching it when it came out to video, maybe, or something, or I could get on Netflix, but I figured, like, it's going to be talked about so much, and it's so important, you know, in, in, the, in the circles that I, that I live in, that I figured I, I kind of had to go see it in the theater. I should have gone with my instinct, because, you know, in retrospect, the, the lengths you would go to, to, 
prevent yourself from writing any Swift? That should have been the obvious answer. <laughs> I, like, I mean, you have gone through some serious mental gymnastics in order to get to the point that you can justify not writing Swift. I didn't say I'm never writing Swift. I'm saying I'm not writing Swift yet, but that I, I do intend to learn it probably when 3.0 comes out next year because they're doing a bunch of big changes to lead up to that. Well, you had just changed your mind about it recently, like in the past show. You're like, oh, I did that, you know, that podcast. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do Swift for a while. But then the open source thing came out and kind of turned you around. So you were primed to do Swift. But the real tell was that the fact that we were talking about Star Wars and that, that prompted you to do the uh, truths and a lie thing. So, because <laughs> well, I, I mean, I already had the list. I mean, I already I knew you played Journey uh, and the other ones were easy. So it was just down to the Swift and the Star Wars. It just seemed so uh, crazy for you to actually leave the house. And go to a movie theater. The Pinterest thing didn't. You didn't have any pause about the Pinterest thing. I know. No, I know you did Pinterest. How'd you know? Yeah. How do you know? Tiff, Tiff told everybody. You have puppies. Oh, that's right. She did. Yeah. So I, I joined. A, I started a Pinterest account so I could collect pictures of puppies, watches, and things I want to buy for the house, like pipe heating wrap and the icicle melting zigzag wire that you put on the roof. Exciting stuff. If you find good good pipe heating wrap, whatever you're going to call it, tell me because I have stuff around my. This is like stuff you put around the pipes to keep the the heat from just leaking out into the the areas where the pipes go through, right? No, it's it's to it's to prevent them from freezing. If you have a pipe in an uninsulated mm, space, never mind then. So it's it, like we have one in the garage from forever ago. It's like this ancient, you know, two conductor cable that just like a heat wire that wraps in a coil around a pipe that runs through our garage because it's uninsulated, so that could freeze. That is, that has burnt out and no longer heats so i'm looking at new solutions to that and they're all basically scaring me into either not doing it or having an electrician do it because it all basically says that these things are insanely dangerous and you will start fires and they all require insulation around the pipe and everything and yeah so i'm probably going to actually outsource this job but we will see you know living in the northeast is the best because you have to worry about bs like this well because we have winter well, right. Well, what you have really is is months of depressing, evil, terrible winter-like season, whereas <laughs> I have this brief respite from, from wonderful weather with slightly less wonderful weather, and then it's back to wonderful weather again. So, but you, you continue being smug up there in your, win, in your tundra, and uh, let me know how that works out. Yeah, it was wonderful there when we went there in July. Uh, that, was, that was really wonderful weather you had there. Yeah, it was warmish. <laughs> Yeah, that's not true. It was very hot when you guys were here. Like even for us, it was extremely hot. Yeah, I also ordered a Tesla this week, but that's we'll save that for the after show, I guess. It was, it was a big week, <laughs> big week for Marco. And you uh, killed the web font on your uh, on your website, which, by the way, I don't really agree with. I think that whatever font you have going on now, not making me happy. No, I I don't think I found the right solution to that. I'm I'm experimenting by with killing a web font. Um, I might at least do a different web font because the the service I was using the the Heffler and Co. Uh, font because I, I like their ideal sans font there have been a few benchmarks done by people that have shown that typically their web font serving is not as fast as typekit uh, or some of the other big web font services and not as fast as uh, as self-hosting and stuff and they don't allow self-hosting but they do kind of a weird thing where like they you have to go through their cdn but then it redirects to the font files on your server with no cache headers so that you're making the clients make two requests. One of them is going back to your slow server and not to their CDN to actually get the big files, you know, the big, like, 300 kilobytes worth of font files. And the only reason I'm there, really, is because I really like this one font they have. They have very nice fonts over there at Heffler. Uh, but I'm going to look at other options now because it just it was just too slow. Like, if you look at the, at the network timeline and the web inspector of, like, time it's taking to render this page, it's just in insane. And... You could argue, I mean, I've heard many kind of arguments for why I shouldn't worry about the speed of my web font loading, most of which boil down to either 
that I should like async load it and then either pop it in or save it for the next load and put it on the next load. Both of those I think suck. Like those, neither of those I would say are good options. Um, just for you know user experience wise, like why why would I want to do either of those? You know the other answer was why do you care? It's just a blog. It doesn't matter how quickly it loads. And that's BS, because not only does it matter quite a bit how quickly pages load to whether people complete the loads, but when you're talking about loading a 300 kilobyte resource that requires two requests to be made before the page can even begin to load, this is like in the head, on mobile, and when you have bad connections and everything, that does matter. That really does add add up to a significant delay when loading a page. You know, it isn't like when you embed a big image, because that can load after the page loads. When you're on a mobile connection, that really matters. And it turns out that my traffic, like everyone's traffic, is mostly mobile these days. And you have to think about that when you're a blog or any kind of content site, especially a tech content site read by tech people, you're going to see a large portion of traffic on mobile. Many of those people will be on cellular at the time they are loading it. Yes, it would be nice if I didn't have you know, ugly fonts on my site. Uh, But it would also be nice if my page loads very quickly. So I think I have to balance those things. I think maybe doing Typekit might be a little bit better because it's it's just a faster web font host. Um, Maybe doing self-hosting would be a little bit faster because then, you know, it it could... It could optimize the connections a little bit better uh, than going off to a different host. So we'll see. I, I'm going I'm to play with it. What led you to do all this? Because no disrespect intended, it seemed to me that you've kind of uh, not abandoned, but but <laughs> avoided writing posts for a while now. I mean, you'll you'll write your link posts to this show to um, under the radar, but I haven't seen a whole lot of real writing from you in a while outside of, you know, when you had headphones or podcast mics or what have you. So what what inspired you to just start paying attention again? I was inspired by being forced by Dropbox. Oh, right, right, right. Basically, I use a Dropbox uh, blogging engine that I wrote uh, that nobody else should use. Please don't use it. Uh, it it's, it's terrible, but I like it. And it's good for me. Uh, and the they they ended support for the version that was probably ancient, the the Linux client that I was using for Dropbox on my ancient server running its ancient distribution of CentOS, I think 5.5 or something. So it, it was you know, running an old stack, an old version of their thing. And I couldn't update it without upgrading some pretty big things like libc. And everybody was basically saying on the internet, never upgrade libc on a Linux system if you can help it. Uh, it it's kind of a problem. So... I migrated my whole blog uh, to a new server. Um, I also, I, I love Linux. So the, you know, every Linux is basically like, yeah, rock solid, runs forever, it's great. But you want to upgrade it? Forget it. Please don't do this. You really shouldn't do this. You should never upgrade a Linux server, blah, 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 blah. You know, like never upgrade the distribution. They all say that, like, don't do that. The solution to upgrading a Linux server is to abandon it and make a new one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that is what I did. <laughs> um, so I was already like in there mucking around with the guts of it uh, and setting up everything new and clean. So I figured while I'm here, let me also take this opportunity to modernize it. So so I, I switched over to HTTPS and everything is now HTTPS. I dropped the www prefix, you know, all this fun stuff uh, to modernize the site. And so part of that was. Let me, I, you know, I've been thinking about dropping the web font for a while. It was actually about to, re, it, it bills annually and it was about to bill me again, 160 bucks. So I'm like, you know, maybe this is a good time to reconsider whether I want to keep using this font. So let me try without it. All that being said, you are right. I have barely written anything 
uh, on the site of, of any consequence in a long time, in, in months, really. And, you know, part of that was because, like, the last time I wrote stuff about app pricing, it went very, very badly. And so part of that was just I need to kind of rethink what audience I want to be writing to, who's reading this, do they really care, do I, do I want to be taking the risk of some of the things that I would want to say uh, to risk getting all the feedback from it and and being having my name dragged all over the internet in horrible ways uh, and you know starting a bunch of drama and most of the time it's just not worth it to me honestly anymore it's just not worth it I do want to keep writing but I'm I'm kind of going through a process where where I want to kind of try to figure out what I want to keep writing on the site uh, because having the kind of potentially controversial tech topic discussions i think are better here where it's more human and people know me better and and you guys are here to rebut uh and to provide your own uh answers to things so that i'm just not going off the deep end going crazy and getting all the you know getting trash because i said something horrible without any kind of rebuttal and the developer help things i i would rather do that on under the radar my the other podcast that i do with undercover david smith um and anything that doesn't fit there anything that is kind of helpful to developer economics, I think I'm just not going to reveal anymore because it has proven not to be worth it. And then I have, there's lots of other things I could blog about. I can blog about headphones and coffee and microphones and stuff like that. Like, you know, I can blog about lots of other things without being that controversial or at least controversial in those ways that I've been kind of burned by. Uh, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out over time. I, I, I have noticed that not writing anything of, of substance in a while is not making me feel good and is is actually making me a worse podcaster <laughs> because I, as you can tell by this long rambling thing, I kind of not only do I have like more to say because it like builds up in me all week and then I like spew it all out at once in a podcast and that's no good. But also my my arguments on the podcast are getting uh, less coherent and less organized. I I think that is because partially because I've been sick for like three weeks and partially because uh, I think not writing is actually making the arguments in my head more weakly structured and more weakly organized if that makes sense just write it and don't publish it that's one way to do it or like you know know, write it's like a a private email list or something like that that might be a good idea i'm not sure if if it would be as good you know like if you if you only surround yourself uh with people that agree with you or that want to to read it or if you're surrounding or if you're writing for something that is such a small audience possibly of just you then I think you you lose the ability for people to improve you in in constructive ways, and and I think that would be unfortunate, and and it would not give the writing as much value to me uh, as as it would for uh, you know if it was in public. Oh, you're good. You, I was going to give you a constructive improvement, but I just realized it might just be Chrome. Let me just check. Reload. I didn't change the name of the CSS. If you reload, I think it's uh, no. It's just different. Chrome. Never mind. What? I was going to complain that the new font you chose and apparently didn't have a good emoji glyph for the cloud icon that you use next to the streaming heading in the Overcast 2 post, but it's just Chrome. It's a black cloud. It looks like a little turd, (laughs) (laughs) but it's just Chrome. Never mind. Carry on. I don't understand why everyone loves Chrome so damn much. It it loads t.co link successfully, so it's got that going for it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, I turned off, um, I think Renee Ritchie may have found it. Somebody had found a way um, to do a a defaults write for TweetBot, which I know is not what you use, John, but to do a defaults write to just direct to the actual URL instead of a 
Tico link or whatever we're calling them. And, um, and that, that made everything a million percent better. And all of the issues that so many people seem to have with Safari, I genuinely like never run into them. So you haven't got the one, the new one in El Capitan where the, the entirety of the window Chrome becomes inert. Like you can't put the insertion point in the address bar. You can't click the window widgets. You can't click any of the toolbar buttons. You can't use the scroll bar. I get that one twice a week now. No, but remember that I have a sane amount of tabs open. I don't have 3,000 windows and 4,500 tabs. Oh, that's not why. Like I get it with two browser windows open, and then one of them is dead. Again, I'm sure that these people who say that Safari is a piece of crap, I'm sure they're saying that for a reason, but darned if I know why, because my experience does not match with that. And I just, I mean, I don't think that Chrome is bad outside of the piss-poor, com- just awful emoji support. I don't think Chrome is bad, but I don't... I don't feel like it brings anything to the table that I care about. And again, I'm sure that, you know, there are all sorts of Chrome, like uh, diehard Chrome fans that are firing up email clients right now. No, they're not. They're using Gmail. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, to, probably using Gmail to write me some sort of nasty gram about the things that Chrome does better than, than Safari. And maybe that's true. I'm not saying that they're wrong. But in my personal experience, I have never thought to myself, you know what? I really wish I could use Chrome for this because it does whatever better. Yeah, I still I still run both. I use Safari as my primary. I used to use Chrome. I used to like use one at work, one at home. And so like I would always be up to date on both. <laughs> and and now I just been using Safari now for a while as my primary and Chrome is my is my flash uh isolation area. But anyway, uh, my flash quarantine. <laughs> but uh Chrome is is has always been very consistent for me with performance, with reliability and everything. Safari is all over the map with every new version. So, you know, sometimes Safari is great for a while. Sometimes Safari gets slow or buggy or inconsistent or it crashes or something for, for a few releases. And in my experience, Chrome is just way more consistent. Also, I think Chrome has the better uh, web dev tools most of the time. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, we will hear from all the Chrome people. And, and what they think, because Chrome, I, I believe, has more market share than Safari uh, in pretty much every, me- you know, by, by anyone's metric, I'm pretty sure it's it's substantially ahead of Safari now. Uh, so the the world has voted, just like they used to vote for, Compaq and Dell computers, that those are the best. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So not speaking of things that are awesome, why don't you make us happier after mentioning Compaq and Dell and tell us about something that is awesome? There's this company out there that I have just talked about for the first part of this podcast quite a bit. And it's called Linode. Or Linode, I don't even know. So it's Linux, Linus, Linode, I don't know. But I say Linode. It's a web host. It's been around for a long time now. Um, and I have been a Linode customer myself for quite a long time. I think maybe like six or eight years at least. I've been there a while. I have done a lot of web hosts uh, in in my time. I've used a lot of them, big and small, from from you know as stuff as big as hosting the first four years of Tumblr at a, at a at a huge host, all the way down to hosting little private sites for myself and my friends and everything. Over the years, I've liked Linode so much, and they've gotten so good that I now host everything at Linode. I think I have one dedicated server left somewhere else for some auxiliary tasks only because I haven't gotten around to moving it to Linode yet. It is such a great host. And I, you know, they can't pay me to say this. I'm saying this honestly as me. I was hoping to get them as a sponsor because I've used them forever and I really do genuinely like them and recommend them. In my opinion, it is the best value in web hosting today. 
Um, they, they did a major upgrade uh, about, I don't know, two years ago now, or a year ago, when they switched everything to SSDs. So it's all fast, all SSD, modern CPUs. More recently, they switched um, their hypervisor software from Zen to KVM. The latest Unix benchmark showed that it is 300% performance increase moving to, to KVM from Zen. Uh, so I've done this with all mine. It's been fine, rock solid, everything's great. Um, you want to host things at Linode, believe me. Like if, if you want real web hosting, you want root access to your own server that you can configure however you want, and you can you can install your own software and run your own stuff, you want to do that at Linode. Uh, it really is an incredible value for what you get. It is very affordable. The, the, the hardware and, and uh, speed and bandwidth is solid. Uh, check it out. I use it. I recommend it. Linode.com slash ATP will give you a $10 credit using promo code ACCIDENTALPODCAST10. So go to lino.com slash ATP, get a $10 credit by using promo code ACCIDENTALPODCAST10. Thank you very much to Linode for sponsoring our show. We have uh, some news in the Apple executive lineup. John, do you want to kind of give us a synopsis as to what's been going on there? Well, it was so long ago, I can barely remember. That was, that was the news. <laughs> it was like right after we recorded last week's podcast. We were like, wonder what news they're going to dump at the end of the year. Uh, the, the news was, uh, I think, a fairly tame uh, reorg where uh, Phil Schiller got control of the App Store stuff, uh, the App Store stuff that used to be uh, under EdiQ. EdiQ still has like the whole media thing and Apple Music and all that stuff, I think. And they named, uh, what's his name, uh, Jeff Williams, uh, COO, but he was already doing that. And not a lot of exciting things there. But the thing the developers got excited about is the moving of any App Store responsibilities from one person to another. And I guess people are getting hopeful just because, hey, it's a change and things are bad now. So change has the potential to be good. But Phil Schiller has been in charge of app review. Marco can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, for a while now right it's not this that's not new i believe since the start yeah he's just getting the rest of the app store and so app review is one of the things that developers complain about a lot and phil Schiller has always had that so he's not exactly your uh sort of savior of the app store if you're if you've been disgruntled about app review stuff that's phil Schiller, and now he's got the rest of it the, the hope is i guess that phil Schiller's organization i don't know like will improve the tech parts of it better like make itunes connect nicer and, and let mac developers use test flight and fix the uh, mac app store sandboxing people so people can actually test their apps in the sandbox before i don't know like that's the hope that eddie q seemed to not be able to roll out the the features like the software and server-based features for developers as quickly as developers wanted and that somehow phil show would do better i have no idea if that is the case um but I have to admit, I'm also slightly optimistic just because things have been kind of not great limping along for a really long time. And I like to see some kind of shakeup, even if it's like the world's most minor shakeup. So, yeah, I mean, to, just to fill out what you said, basically, the, the, the developer ecosystem of Apple has always been under these three different divisions in the company. Um, there's the engineering division under Craig Federighi. They make all the APIs and the new OSs and everything. And then there's the developer relations division which is under phil schiller's division under marketing and that that does like wbdc the the you know the developer program uh, and then and also app review and the app review policies and then there's the store division and the editorial part of it that has been under eddie q in the services division and that decides like what apps to be featured and how the store works and and running the the store backend and everything i would imagine it also uh, involves the the store apps themselves um so that 
to to have this under three different divisions you could you could always tell in the past where there has been some kind of like miscommunication or friction in the past so for example you would have an app that was featured by the App Store editorial team under EDQ because it was doing some new cool thing, and then the app review team would call them up and say, oh, sorry, we're not going to allow this. you got to take this app down, while it's being featured by the other by the other department in, in the store. Um, and so you have these kind of like weird miscommunications or disagreements between the divisions that have caused some friction or some, some you know, clumsiness in the past. The engineering side is still going to be under Federighi, still totally separate. Obviously, that makes that makes sense. Um, but the developer relations and the App Store is now together under Phil. And interestingly, as as our friend Ben Thompson pointed out on Stratechery, and I think this was one of the private members only things, but if if not, we'll link to it. A lot of people aren't paying a lot of attention to the fact that it actually that Phil Schiller has actually lost a big chunk of his responsibilities in this as well. Um, what what corporate people call Marcom, uh, marketing communications, which I think that's that's like advertising and stuff, right? Oh, beats me. I know nothing about that stuff. Anyway, that used to be under Phil, and now they announced the new hire, whose name I forgot, I'm sorry. The new hire is now taking over marketing communications from Phil and reporting directly to Tim Cook. So this this stuff has been removed from Phil's plate, it appears. Um, and And then Phil has gained the app stores. And I, logically, I don't know how this works, you know, internally. I, there's obviously a lot of implementation details here that we don't know. Like the big one to me is how do you separate the app stores from the back end that they run on, which is all presumably still under ADQ's division? There's there's going to be some weirdness there, I would imagine. But high level, it it certainly appears that Phil has lost his responsibility of running the like advertising part of it and gain the responsibility of running the app stores, whatever that includes. Because he already ran developer relations and app review, that makes some sense. So, John, I'm with you in that I am optimistic about this. I don't think we're going to see meaningful change to the app store policies. Any kind of rule that you can't do now, any kind of controversy over app review, I wouldn't even expect improvements to app review, at least on iOS. You know, like on, on the Mac app store, having these occasionally very long uh, review times, I hope they fix that because that's, that's just messed up. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's bad. That's embarrassing. And that, that's obviously not the way it's supposed to work to have your app sit in review for a month. But, you know, when it is working, like on, on iOS, when you typically get, you know, a seven or eight day review time, I don't think we're going to see any major changes to that system, you know, the system of app review as we know it today. That is here to stay for a long time because the person who is at the very top of that organization just took control of the entire app store. Like, obviously, they're not looking to change that. But the things that I think that I'm optimistic about here are that, first of all, I I can't get a great read on Phil, but the more that I that I know of him or the more that I that I that I hear him talk or that I hear stories about him the more I think I, I think I, I like him like I, I think he has sensibilities that line up with mine more so than most of the other high up Apple executives and and more so that are in the interest of kind of the old Apple and that comes with some good and some bad that's why like you know app review I don't think is going anywhere because that you know it's like the old school Apple but Overall, this is a good thing, if for nothing else, because as you said, John, it is a sign of, of, a, of a pretty big change. And if you look at like things that stagnate or have problems in Apple, 
many of them, I would say possibly even most of them, fall under that services division. That is clearly a place where they have had a lot of problems in the past, and I, I we keep hearing that they're, doing, that they're getting better. Some of the things they're doing are better, like the new CloudKit stuff, the new Photos Sync. Some of that stuff is really good. And so I think they are getting better. And we're hearing stories about them like, you know, running Linux servers now and, and doing this Apache Mesos thing. And, and now we're, this is probably where Swift on Linux is going. And, you know, we're seeing lots of, lots of like rumblings that, that, that this department is getting better. And some evidence of that is coming out to the consumers. But even if they start doing really well, they also seem dramatically overloaded. And, and they seem like they have a lot of trouble making progress, uh, on, on, especially on multiple fronts. So the App Store has basically done nothing. Like it, the App Store has gone almost nowhere, has improved very little, or has changed very little since its inception in 2008. You know, it, if, if you look at the App Store today versus the App Store in 2008, it really is not that different. Yes, some things are better, but not what not what you'd expect for what is it, seven years, seven and a half years? Like not what you'd expect for that amount of time. So to move a, a big chunk of, of this division out of it under new leadership in a different division of the company, to have that be the app store, the thing that, that controls so much of my living, many people's livings, the, 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 the modern computing landscape, like so much of this is dependent on the app store and the way it's run and its policies. To move that to another executive is a big change, I think. You know, it seems like it would be a big change. I mean, I don't think this is just like some paper thing. So I, I hope that this is a sign that they are finally going to change the after. They're finally going to improve it to start making meaningful changes. And again, I don't think it's going to be in regards to app review. I think we're stuck with that for a long time. But it could be in regards to many things that could use improvement. Things like, you know, if you want upgrade pricing or trials, that's the kind of place, you know, this is the kind of change that would happen. If you want improvements to the Mac App Store or, or better, I mean, look, if you look at the health of the App Store's pretty much all of them except the iphone one need help like they're, they're not in great shape the iphone one is doing okay simply because of its massive volume but it could still you know it could still use use some improvement all of that now is kind of we have re, we have like renewed hope that the app store might finally get better because they just did this seemingly substantial sounding move i i have high hopes for that especially to be under phil he cares a lot about the Mac, about the product quality, and they wouldn't have moved this for no reason. There was nothing pressuring them to move it. There was no like, there was no reason they had to do this. So they clearly want to do this, and he, they, it has to have been this. This move has to have been for a good reason. I think there is some kind of pressure because when I, it's hard. It's always hard to tell why things are happening inside Apple because obviously the press release isn't going to tell you. And all I can do is look at the experiences I've had in the companies that I've worked for when they've shuffled people around. And the only real underlying cling, other than stuff you don't know about, because there's so much information you don't have, like for all we know, like maybe someone, you know, is going to retire soon, or, you know, maybe someone has expressed an interest in doing something different, right? But you, you don't know about that stuff. It's not in the, in the press release. But usually if some top executive like the CEO or whatever is not getting something they want out of some subdivision of the company, they usually let that slide for a while, but eventually it's like, I've been, I've wanted X for two years now, and this person hasn't delivered it. It's time to give another person a chance. Sometimes there's the, you know, give the really hard job to this one executive who's great for, you know, dealing, tackling tough problems. And that person bounces around like the problem solver or the fixer or the, the, you know, like the, uh, what do you call it? Silver NSX Casey. Oh, it's a movie reference. You won't get it. 
Uh, the wolf. <laughs> uh, the wolf is definitely a fixer. Anyway, it could be that, but like either way, it's like someone is not getting what they want out of insert thing. And, and it could be is someone not getting what they want out of Marcom, and that's why uh, a new guy has to come in to take it. Is someone not getting what they want out of the App Store? We don't know because it could be, say, say the marketing stuff seems stagnant, you know, like Apple's marketing message isn't evolving. And for a while, we wanted to change, and Phil doesn't seem capable to get out of the rut. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring in someone new. They're going to take over to marketing and communication. But since Phil is such an important person, you can't take away that from him without giving him something else. And Eddie's got a lot of stuff, so give it over to him. All right, so that's one plausible scenario. Another one is the one that we're all thinking of, which is like, Eddie, for years, we wanted X out of you know this App Store stuff. It hasn't been happening, so we're going to take that away from you and give it to somebody who is more, yeah, I don't know, who, who we think is going to do a better job. I don't know if Phil Schiller is the person who's going to do a better job with that particular thing. Like, there's just so much we don't know. But the bottom line is these things don't happen without a substantial reason because top executives hate having responsibility taken away from them. It's, it's not a demotion, but it's seen as like, you know, so it, it, Phil Schiller is not really, you know, he got a bunch of responsibilities taken away, but he t- took the mantle of something else. So I feel like this is, you know, in the political org chart of Apple, is a little bit of a down arrow on ADQ and a little bit of an up or sideways arrow on Phil. That's just the way it feels to me from the outside. And what I think about is what, you know, assuming this theory is correct, that a little, a little bit down arrow on ADQ, what, what is it that, uh, that top executives might have wanted that they weren't getting out of ADQ? And that's makes me think of the success hides problem things where in the beginning, when ADQ had the iTunes store, uh, and the app store and everything was going gangbusters hey the app store is super popular everybody loves apps they're installing stuff and like every year every quarter he uh, you know at every meeting eddie could be like look at these crazy numbers look how many apps we have look how many people are downloading stuff look how many developers are signed up like every metric that he could possibly every chart he could put up every number he could throw in someone's face was like i'm in charge of the app store and the app store is awesome but but <laughs> as you pointed out marco at a certain point, like those numbers, not that they level off. It's like, yeah, yeah, we heard lots of apps, lots of whatever. But what's this I'm hearing about, you know, developers don't like this or it's hard to search in the store or this we bought this company to redo the store, but it kind of looks the same and people don't think it's that much better. And just just from regular like you don't have to be plugged into this community. Just Tim Cook can go to the app store on his own phone to try to find something and notice that there are problems and bring that up two years ago. Daddy Q and he'd be like, oh, yeah, no, we'll take care of that. No, we're working on this, working on that. And at a certain point, it's like. It doesn't, you know, again, things that things that uh, someone who's not plugged into the developer community, just Tim Cook on his own phone <laughs> using the App Store, can be like, you know, it doesn't seem like, regardless of whether I think this is good or not, and your numbers are great, and your reliability is great, and you're making a lot of money or whatever, it just doesn't seem like it has gotten that much better over the past several years, so maybe it's time for a change. Now, this could all be delusions based on our perspective as outsiders and people who know a lot of developers. It could be something entirely unrelated, but... To me, that's a plausible scenario that that not that Eddie Q was coasting, but that like when when you're on the fun part of the hockey stick, it can hide a lot of stuff. And at a certain point, either the hockey stick levels off or that stuff becomes old hat and you need like, what have you done for me lately? You know, what what have you done to the app store lately? Because the complaints are there and the, the feedback is there and, you know, people leaving the Mac app store and long review times i don't know if that's even involved in that and you know like features in itunes connect and just it just seems like at this point no matter how distantly you removed are from the developer community you can do what marco just said and say look at what the app store was like five years ago and look at what it's like now and think is that five years worth of progress in the app store and you just have to say no 
And so that's why that that feels like the strongest reason why there might be a shakeup related to the App Store. Regardless of what you think of it, it's just that it's just not progressing and advancing the way you would hope it would. Well, and also, like, you know, I, I think, as, as I mentioned last episode, I think you can look at their, their recent product launches, the Watch, the Apple TV, and the iPad Pro. In all three of those cases, you can very clearly point to the app ecosystem and the app stores themselves as holding these products back significantly. The, the TV app store is, frankly, embarrassing. Um, there's so little in it. It is so hard to use. It is so hard to find anything. There's no like, <laughs> there's no like public links for TV apps. You can't if you hear about like like Badland Two came out uh, this past week or some, sometime recently. I wanted to get it on my TV or at least find out if it was available on the Apple TV. I could not find this information out anywhere except going over, walking over to the TV, and typing poorly Badland Two into that horrible text entry field and finding nothing. And I wasn't sure, like, is search just bad right now, or is it really not here? And it turns out I don't think it's out for the TV yet. Had it been out for the TV, I would have no way on my computer or my phone or any other device to have clicked buy this app and have it show up on my TV. Like, there, there are simple things like this where the store is really not helping. Uh, it's, it's really hindering things. Not to mention the way bigger challenge of, like, developer economics and and making it worth developing for these platforms which is a whole separate discussion but is related to this who's in charge of that like who like just to give one example upgrade pricing like developers have wanted upgraded pricing for a long time who is, of all the, the the people at the top execs we know at apple are the people saying no to upgrade pricing and are they still in charge of that decision well, I think it was kind of a combo. I mean, that kind of thing before would have been like you know, if you look at the app review rules there are many app review rules related to pricing and what you what you're allowed to do with your pricing and what you're not what has to be free what has to you know not break or not have limits on it or whatever so a lot of that is under app review but then any anything related to things like upgrade pricing would have had to be implemented by edq's division so that kind of thing spanned both divisions and i think that's one of the reasons why we've seen so little change of, of that type because it would have it would have involved these two divisions working together, which you know was probably problematic or at least at least burdensome. They implemented bundles, which was like seems like so much more complicated than upgrade pricing. I mean, they did an app purchase and they did bundles, two features that are fairly complicated. So it seems like when whoever is the head of this snake wants to change to the economics, we want to make bundles possible. We want to to make in app purchase possible. That's going to involve your team, Eddie, because you got to handle all the bundle and the pricing or whatever. And in that purchase is going to be like a back end that we're going to talk to or whatever. But it, it just seemed to me that those efforts weren't coming from Eddie Q's team. And I'm just wondering like who, you know, I just pulled upgrade uh, pricing out of the hat, but just in terms of the economic issues, somebody is, is setting the policy. I feel like in an organization like Apple still, if somebody high enough up said, you know what, we're going to do upgrade pricing, it would happen. Like regardless of who's in charge of implementing it, maybe it would be cruddy and maybe like the, the interface for it and iTunes Connect would be bad and maybe it would be buggy to begin with and maybe it would be difficult for developers to test. All those things you can blame on IDQ or whatever. But like I just, I always wonder where this decision is made. Like do they have a meeting where it's like, should we revisit this upgrade pricing or just does it never come up? Like do they decide once back when Steve Jobs was still alive that upgrade pricing is good for developers but bad for users and let's never revisit that decision? despite you know what what how the ipad pro may change that equation or whatever you, you have to also look at you know how important 
is this thing that's very important to us. How important is this relative to the division it's in, then the company it's in, you know? And and so relative to all of Apple as a whole, I don't know how important they consider things like the App Store and developer happiness with the App Store and everything else. I don't know. Well, but they see the tertiary effects. It's like, why aren't more people buying iPad Pros? Why are people leaving the Mac App Store? Why aren't all these awesome apps that we know it's possible to build appearing on the on the iPad Pro? Why is Adobe not making a full-fledged version of Photoshop for the iPad Pro? Like, all sorts of questions about why aren't people taking advantage of our platform? And one answer they have is we haven't sold enough hardware. But it's kind of a, you know, a chicken-egg situation. The other answer is, what is it about, especially specifically for the ipad pro like what is it about our platforms that you know we all know the answers that lends itself to applications that a bunch of people write and support while they can still make money and then abandon like there is no sort of 10-year 20-year application because you can't get any more revenue from them unless it's like an in-app purchase type of thing where you're constantly you know fleecing people for in-app currency or whatever you know like other than those models like why why is there no model for sort of professional applications that people buy on a regular basis i guess they could do subscriptions but then you know like we we all know what the, the the app store policies are there that that make it difficult to have a sustainable high-end software package that continually gets upgraded on apple's ios platforms and it's because all the tools people are used to either don't exist or have a 30 percent tax that's just mostly untenable like adobe loves their subscription revenue adobe would love subscription revenue a lot less if apple took 30 percent of it right and and i mean there have been i mean i there have been so many unimplemented or lost or canceled ideas and services and products because of that 30 percent. i mean that is not a small number like that that, that is a number that that makes or breaks people's business models in a lot of cases. You know, going back to Eddie Q for you know, to his division, like if you look at the at what else that division had to do, un, you know, while the App Store was under them, that's all of iCloud, that's all of Siri, that is all of the stores, the other stores, the music stores. That's Apple Music, the, the streaming television plan that still hasn't happened, right? And it's and it's it's all the content deals. It's, it's negotiating with all the, and dealing with all these content companies also and. Apple has not done well in that area recently. And and I don't know if this is, you know, just, you know, Q doing his job badly. I probably not. It's probably more complicated than that. No, it's more like people have Apple's number now. Like the first one was easy. Like like and then people learned their lesson from iTunes and it was like, "No, we're intentionally giving our business to Amazon to check your power, Apple." So now it's it's much harder to go because you know, Apple doesn't want to come out with a plan. Well, I, as far as I know, nobody has a plan that is con- a convincing replacement for quote-unquote real television at this point apple wants to be the first so they're gonna have to be the ones to explain to the big networks and everybody just trust us uh this this won't disempower you and you won't lose your shirt on this deal but you have to bring the price down because no one's gonna buy it if it costs as much as cable but isn't as good as cable which it won't be because our stupid apple tv box isn't that good (laughs) right (laughs) right and this is like this is another thing where like kind of what i was saying last week about how apple doesn't really seem to know how to be in a negotiating position of not just absolute power. I think that, that, you know, I was last week I was talking about developers, but this week, uh, you know, I think that I think that applies very equally to the content problems, you know, the content deals. Well, I'm going to, I'm willing to say here that in this negotiation between Apple and television networks, I'm willing to put money that the television people are being more unreasonable than Apple. <laughs> like, I, it feels like a safe bet. Like, every time, like, Les Moonves makes a, a public statement, I'd be like, I don't envy I don't envy Apple trying to negotiate with these guys because I think that they don't get it and Apple is trying to explain it to them. So I really, like, I, I it's hard to fault Apple in these things. Maybe they are being a little bit stubborn, but, but geez, they're, they're trying to pull an industry's head out of the sand and it's, it's slow going. 
No, and that's fair, but that industry, I think, is still doing really well without Apple. And so like, the, the, the dynamic is different. Like, one of the reasons Apple was able to have so much power in music and get such great deals for music is because the music industry was was kind of naive and, and also pretty desperate. Uh, and in this case, you know, today that's not the case anymore, especially with, with TV industry. Like, the TV industry is still doing very well and still making tons of money. Well, a- Apple, Apple should have been Netflix, but wasn't. Like and Netflix got there first, right? So and then now everyone it's just, it's it's a bigger mess. Like you're right that like music. I don't know if music was more desperate, but music was smaller and more tractable, and nobody knew what was going to happen. And Apple just steamrolled everybody, and then everyone saw what happened, and everybody who who basically lost power to Apple in that was like, no, we're not doing that again. So every other industry from ebooks, television to movies to everything was like, if Apple comes calling look at the music industry as a cautionary tale and negotiate differently and find another way and we're going to make our own streaming apps and we're going to make deals with netflix and you know who knows what we're going to do but yeah it's it's a more complicated world like I, yeah and i do wonder like i don't know anything about eddie q other than i, I see the guy on stage and hear him talk we know he's not a big fan of buttoning his shirt yeah well it just keeps getting lower <laughs> uh, but i always wonder what like what his core skill set is like he's not an engineer right he's not an ex-programmer or anything We've always heard that he that he is like the negotiator, like that he he is really good at these content deals, apparently. Or I've also I've also heard that he has a reputation of like being the fixer, like, like you know, kind of getting things done. But I, I honestly I don't see it. <laughs> not not on the not an iTunes Connect. No, well, and look, I mean, iTunes Connect is is the least of the developers' problems. I mean, well, all thing all things associated with like test flight integration and you know the, the process, your visibility into the app review process, and the ability to contact a human about the your thing and all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, but like yeah, I mean, the problems with the App Store go way beyond like the iTunes Connect web interface. Like that, it goes so far beyond that. I mean, that's iTunes Connect is good enough for what it does you know it's not great but it's fine um it, it, it's like it's like the admin panel that, that we all make for our websites like no one's admin <laughs> panel is nice itunes connect is not nice but i i don't need phil schiller to fix itunes connect you know we we need phil schiller to fix a lot bigger problems than that uh, eddie q got a bachelor's in computer science uh, and economics from duke yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I can't get a read. It was obviously at this level of the hierarchy. No one, you're not doing anything. You're telling people who are telling people who are telling people to do things, which is fine. Like, it's management. Uh, it just, I'm trying to think, like, things that either, things that were put in our EDQ that saw substantial improvements or they got better or that, you know, like, he's got a lot of sort of stars on his, you know, whatever you call them, on his lapel, right? Like, itunes and the stores and the app store especially in the, in the initial part there's lots of big important good numbers you can put up there i bet he got a lot of big bonuses in a lot of those years and you know because everything looked good uh, but just lately not that it, it doesn't look good anymore it still looks good but like i said it's like what have you done for me lately what what improvements have you made to the system yes there's a system people can upload apps they can put them on stores we have multiple stores we have multiple things like but it just doesn't seem like it's progressing. Like we've all been hearing the exact same complaints from the developer side of it for so many years. And so like, just set that aside because a lot of people listening are like, who cares about developers? I don't care about developers. Apple should only care about users. You know, users should come above developers. And I think that's right. Users do come above developers and should because there, there's many, many more of them. But but it's it's related because like, I, you know, like as a user, you might be like, I don't care what developers think about pricing on the App Store. And then at the same time, you, be, you might be like, I just got this iPad Pro. Why isn't there more software updated for it? 
Yeah, or why, why is this thing that I downloaded this throwaway app that no one's ever going to support that doesn't work right? right? And but but like, but I'm saying set that aside for a second. Just you know, because I totally believe in, in in the importance of that. But just set it aside. I really do feel that from the user's perspective, the App Store as experienced by the user. You just talked about it, Marco. The App Store as experienced by users of Apple TV, or you know, just as a user going to the App Store, finding stuff, feeling feeling good and confident about the things that you find there. I, I think that is has not progressed and the sort of cesspits of it have gotten deeper and more dangerous. The cesspits of free to play, um, you know, all, all those mechanics that are taking money for people um, and the cesspit of at this point sort of single use unsupported applications that are clogging up your search results uh, and, and make it much harder to find the, the one or two good apps among because like they always brag about how many apps they have. Once that number got to like six or seven digits, it stops being a plus. It starts being a minus. I don't want 10 million applications. I don't want 1 million applications, even 200,000 applications. Like, seriously, can we, you know, those all can't be winners, right? There's a lot of, <laughs> right? So not that I'm saying Apple should reject more things from the store or whatever, but like at a certain point, the number of applications you have becomes Apple's problem to solve, not their thing to brag about. And their problem to solve is, you know, Amazon has probably millions of products, but I find it easier to find decent things on Amazon, you know, because their review system is better than Apple's because their people who like this, like that is a little bit better. You know, like all the parts that have to do with dealing lots of, with lots of products and presenting it to users, that part of the experience of being a user of Apple products has, you know, again, regardless of what you think, of, it just hasn't gotten that much better in years and years and years. And so that that is an area where I feel like no matter what you think about it, you have to say, we are not progressing fast enough. I don't know if competitors are, are nipping at their heels or whatever, but if you can make that experience better, as they showed with the App Store to begin with, if you can make that experience better, that can do really big things for your bottom line and for your customer sat and for your developer satisfaction. You know, letting developers be able to respond to reviews or contact people anonymously or like it's just those are that's low hanging fruit. It's not even that big a deal. And it's like, well, that's you know, we can't do that if the app store just came out. It's been years. Like one give me one of those a year for five years and it would make a much bigger difference. And I know they did things, I just mentioned the bundles, um, and in app purchases arguably are an important thing and subscriptions and opening the the stuff that used to be newsstand only up. Like they have done some things, but it just it just feels like stagnation and it it you know i don't i don't feel good going into the app store these days unless i know exactly where i'm going um and if i can't get a direct link like on the tv i don't know what i would do we are also sponsored this week by fracture go to fractureme.com and use code atp15 to get 15% off your first order atp15 at fractureme.com fracture is vivid color photos printed directly on glass I have tons of fractures around my office. Honestly, they're great. I love them. People always compliment them. It is literally just like they take your photos, they rescue them from like your Instagram feed or whatever that like, you know, you see once and then you never see it again. They take your photos and print them on a piece of glass that you can give as a gift. You can hang it up in your house. You can put it on your desk, whatever you want. These are beautiful prints. It is it's printed on the backside of a very, very thin piece of glass. So that way it isn't big and heavy, you know, like this giant thing you have to worry about crashing off your wall and breaking. It's nice and thin and light. So it's very easy to deal with, very easy to hang, very low stress to have on your wall. And it just looks like the photo is just edge to edge right there on the surface with a nice gloss on top. 
these make amazing gifts. We've given, I don't know, maybe 10 of them as gifts so far, with, and we're going we're keep, to keep doing it because everyone loves them. These things make great gifts to your family, your friends, your coworkers. Check them out. Big thanks to Fracture for being a longtime sponsor of this podcast. I do highly recommend them. They are beautiful photo prints on glass. Uh, go to FractureMe.com. Use coupon code ATP15 to get 15% off your first order. Thank you very much to Fracture for sponsoring our show once again. So also in the last week, uh, 60 Minutes and Charlie Rose did a, not really an interview, but a feature on Apple. And they were afforded a little bit more access than most TV crews are afforded. Um, have you guys seen this? Nope. Of course not. I did, but Stupid Football pushed it off the end of my TiVo, so I had to watch the rest of it on, on CBS's or whatever network it is, their terrible website that made me watch more ads, but I did eventually watch it all. Wait, I can do that? I can just go to their terrible website? Yeah, if, if mm-hmm. you, Stupid Football pushes the show out and your TiVo doesn't correctly adjust because Stupid Football ran long, not enough time for TiVo to get updated guide information, then you can watch as much as you can watch on your TiVo, and then I just always assume I can go to the website of the, the television show and watch the rest of it, and lo and behold, I could, as long as I was willing to watch like 17 of the same commercial before I could move the little playhead up to the point where I left off. So what do you think about football? <sighs> I'm not going to take this bait. I'm not going to take this bait. It's not not bait. I'm just saying, like, is there a TV schedule or isn't there a TV schedule? I feel like if the football runs long, it should switch to the football football overflow channel. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Anyway, all right. I'm still not going to take this bait. Um, So the the feature, it is worth watching, although I don't think any, like, revelations came from it, excepting apparently Reddit seemed to think that a MacBook that was shown (laughs) in the background for four seconds was some new Mac. Which it wasn't. Which uh, supposedly it wasn't. Or, or if it was, like, this is the best part of that theory. Let's assume that it was. So, what happens now? Like, uh, let's just stipulate for the, for the purpose of this conversation that there was, a, <laughs> there was a different MacBook in the background. Now what happens? Nothing happens. It looked like a Mac. It looked like a laptop. Like, it's, right. it opens, it closes, it has a screen and a keyboard. Can you buy one? Do you know what's in it? Nope. Pointless. All right, go on. <laughs> Plus, we already know what they're doing. Like, look... Skylake is coming out in the spring slash winter slash summer slash God knows when. Skylake is coming out soon. It comes with a huge power savings. The Retina MacBook Pro design is going to be about four years old by the time it comes out. They're going to take advantage of the of the power savings and they're going to make the stupid thing thinner. And it's going to be fine. I'm going to complain about the keyboard and the battery life and the four strokes trackpad. Then I'll, then I'll end up buying one. And they're going to be the same laptops we have now, but thinner and cooler looking and maybe in space gray and gold. Or not. Or 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 they could have amazing features that, but none of them would be visible on the screen. It looks like a laptop. It's a screen <laughs> and a keyboard and a trackpad. Like, I just like to, you know, just arguing about it. It's like, I will agree right now that that was a brand new unreleased product in the background and now what what happens do we just sit here and smile like i don't even understand anyway go on casey we interrupted you yeah so i there wasn't that much that i thought was really remarkable about the um about the piece but i thought we should at least note that we that while well, two-thirds of us have seen it uh the one thing that i thought was really interesting was dan riccio um saying and I'm going to butcher the quote because I don't have it in front of me, even a tenth of a millimeter of thickness is sacred to us. And this was with regard to the MacBook One, but probably pretty telling about Apple's attitude about these sorts of things in general. So that's a thing. That's a thing that we've been lamenting for a while. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Well, the, the uh, quote that stuck out to me was when they were talking to Johnny Ive and he was getting into his, his Johnny Ive mode where he uh, is very passionate about things. And I think the question was, 
uh, something about like, did you feel like that Apple could become complacent or insular or something like that? And his answer was basically like, I like all the things in this thing. These are answers that anyone who follows Apple has heard before, um, just repeated in a new context. And it was the, the, the John AI of answer from his uh, folio, which I, which I believe is the truth. It's not like BS. It's just that he has to answer the same questions a million times. Like every, you know, every famous person has to. And his answer to this one is we're not really looking at what we're like, we're not satisfied with what we do. Like, so we're not going to be like, Oh, just sort of, you know, lean back and uh, just uh, phone it in or whatever. And we're not comparing ourselves to what else is out there and other people's products. What we're comparing ourselves to is always this ideal, this perfection that we have in our own mind. So we're chasing, we're chasing perfection, our own internal, you know, intrinsic motivation, the, the ideal that we have in our mind. And that's what we're chasing. And, I believe that because it shows in their products that seem to have that seem to be chasing some ideal that is inside their minds and uh, don't involve uh, certainly too many looks at what other people are doing, which is fine, but also maybe not too many looks at how people use these things in the real world. You know, like his answer makes sense, but it hinges entirely on what is that ideal that you're chasing and as articulated through many white background movies over many years, the <laughs> the ideal that, that Johnny Ive has always said that he's chasing has good and bad aspects of it. The good one is like it has to look obvious. It has to seem like it's not designed. Um, it shouldn't, you know, it, it shouldn't be designed for design's sake. Uh, but we can see in the products that he makes that he, he, you know, he favors simplicity and symmetry and purity and beauty. And it can be argued that those things... Thinness. Well, yeah, and it, it can be argued that those things have a psychological effect on the users of products that it benefits their bottom line, but there are practical considerations as well, and the balance between chasing that ideal that, that again, may be beneficial to the company, um, but may not be beneficial to the product, and also doing things that you kind of have to do, whether it's uh, more reliable strain relief on cables or, you know, or more grippy surfaces for things or, you know, thickness and battery life and all that stuff. I haven't seen a lot of interviews where that balance has been brought up and really pursued. And I'm not expecting like in 60 minutes interview, you know, basically it's going to be people you, you know, if you follow Apple a lot, it's going to be people you've seen before being asked questions. They've been asked a thousand times. You've seen them be asked these questions a thousand times and you know what their answers are going to be because you've heard them give the same answer a thousand times. They, and they, they dotted each one of them. Like, labor practices parking money overseas uh popularity of products secrecy the new apple campus i mean there's just nothing new there uh, but it is interesting that they you know you get to come in the lab and see the tables draped with stuff and you get to see our milling machine running and, and whatever you know you can peek at it in that way and it's interesting to see the people give the same answers and see if they change but what i always want is you know i think what we all want as people who are either on or are listening to this program is deeper questions like so uh, I think Gruber's interview with Schiller pursued this a little bit on the whole, like, oh, I forget what he was talking about then. Maybe he was also talking about battery life or maybe it was developer relations. But anyway, you like to, to pursue, to have follow-ups, to dig a little bit, like to bring up this, because I'm sure Donny, it's not like this is news to Johnny. If he knows about the, the balance between, you know, practical features, I'm sure all the engineering people in the manufacturer are always telling him, practically speaking, you need to do this. And he's like, no, can we figure out a way to do this? Like that's, that's why uh, he was talking about, uh, you know, fractions of millimeters there. There, it's a tension between what can be done, what is able to be manufactured, what is economical, what is beautiful, what is ergonomic. 
is there something that's both beautiful and ergonomic and obvious and durable and stays beautiful for a long time like this this is that's what design is all about I would love to hear an in-depth discussion with Johnny Ive just about those trade-offs, about how he figures out where that balance is. Not in vague terms, but getting into specifics, because that, I think, is, is the most interesting thing about design. And Johnny Ive never talks about it. Maybe he's never going to because it's a secrecy type thing. He doesn't want to give you a, cute, uh, you know, a, a window into his mind. But if he retired and I could get him on this podcast, I would spend the entire show just like trying to figure out how they how they uh, did that balance and what factors do we not understand that are involved in this and are there problems that we see that he doesn't and other problems that he knows are legitimate issues that we never see and take for granted and that would be a much more interesting interview than what was on 60 minutes but then again it's 60 minutes so what do you expect (laughs) i think my expectations for that were even lower than my expectations for star wars why were your expectations low for Star Wars? You people had been saying good things about it. The people involved were good. Everyone likes J.J. Abrams. You know, George Lucas wasn't involved. It seemed like your expectations should have been at least middle of the road. Well, let's just say the last three Star Wars movies I saw were not the best. I know, but there's a whole different set. Of, maybe you don't know, but it's a whole it's a whole different <laughs> set of people here. The old, old people are out. It's it's even bigger than the the Eddie Q Phil Schiller thing. Old people out, new people in. Well, yeah, well I, I'm like the average consumer. I wasn't really in that world of paying attention to all that stuff. I didn't expect much from it because the last few Star Wars movies I've seen have been terrible. Nope, they fixed that. They didn't They didn't just shuffle things around a little bit. Total, complete change of hands, new people in charge entirely. Everything on the internet comes back to Star Wars these days. That's where you have to see, just go see it tomorrow. Yeah, how are you the one who hasn't seen this? Like somehow Marco has seen it, and you—I don't understand what's going on today. Bizarro world. It is bizarro world. It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> this is our Christmas miracle. Next, you're going to tell me that Hop saw it. I should have brought him. He would have enjoyed it. Oh God, no, <laughs> no dogs in theaters. Uh, no, we need we need a babysitter because we have like a baby now. We're all like old and boring. I know, but you got family close by. You can make this happen. Yeah, put your kid in preschool. Actually, the theater I went I went to an Alamo Draft House, which is like this a kind of like hipster theater chain. But I inadvertently booked a baby showing because they they do <laughs> they do like baby okay showings where like they allow people to bring babies and if they cry, oh well. Tiff was really not happy that I booked this, but it turned out not to matter. There was like one baby in the whole theater that cried like once, but it was, didn't matter. But that might exist near you if you can find that that is the kind of hipster thing you would have around that area. Around me? Yeah. No, no, there's no Al- Alamo Draft House anywhere near here. I think it's like at least an hour away. Well, at any rate, look, look, at, look at local theaters to see if they have any like baby showings of movies because I think some theaters are starting to do that now. I went to a nerd showing. It was great. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what, is, what does that include? It's like only nerds allowed, um, you know, either people who are dressed up or people who think seriously about ever dressing up or people who conceivably be friends with someone who dresses up. Very respectful nerds. That's how I saw it. That's the only way to do it. Did they market it that way, or is it just... No, but it just happens naturally. We we congregate. I clearly am not a card-carrying nerd, because I have no idea when that would be. If you saw it on the 17th, and especially if you saw it at either the very first showing, or like a ridiculously late showing that no insane person would ever go to because you end up getting back to your house at 3 a.m., it's full of nerds. It was the best. So I guess we're done talking about the 60 Minutes thing then, huh? To be honest, I have, I have, no, I have nothing else to add. I mean, it was... It was interesting to watch. It's probably worth the 20, 30 minutes of your time. Uh, assuming that you live in the United States, I, I saw something fly by on Twitter that it's um, it's locked down to the U.S. because reasons. Um, but it is worth your time. It, don't expect anything monumental. I also watched their, uh, what do they call it, 60 Minutes Overtime segments, which were 
um, not that particularly interesting nor worthwhile. The one thing I will say is that I was happy to see uh, Angela Aarons come out from the shadows. Uh, I, they spoke to her a few times, and I was very impressed with her. I thought she was really, really good, which is what one would expect, given that she was once a CEO. They did have one. All right, so there were there were some tidbits in there. Maybe I just don't know about this, but one of the things is they were showing like the model Apple store, like, oh, this is where we test out our ideas for Apple stores. And there was one wall that had a bunch of foliage on it. Yeah, I noticed that. That was very weird. And I'm assuming no real Apple store has that. Uh, but boy, I'd love to see that. Like, I'm, you know, they try out all sorts of ideas there, right? I would love to see that idea, make it out of the model and be, you know, just go into the Apple store and like <laughs> have one wall, have a bunch of green vines hanging down it. And also the ones where like they had cases and you like the case was the pull on the thing. Lots of wacky ideas there. So that was, that was interesting to see for two seconds. And the other, the other reason to watch it, this will make you simultaneously angry about 60 minutes, uh, but interested in, in seeing this is you get to see Tim Cook get fired up about uh apple keeping their money overseas and our stupid tax laws and labor practices and stuff he gets kind of uh angry <laughs> sounds like a fun time a lot, not angry <laughs> but like so they they ask him the same questions you always ask him and they don't like he probably gave substant he gave like very substantial thorough answers answers to them we've heard him give those answers before like on apple's earnings calls and and, and uh the you know the things he has for the meetings he has for stockholders and everything but in 60 minutes you get three sentences that they cut out of your big long comprehensive answer and they're the three sentences when tim cook is the angriest and they don't explain anything and then they move on to the next topic so it was really garbage from a uh a, you know a perspective of like giving insight to anybody who doesn't know about these issues all you get the idea is that we say this leading question apple angrily denies it i don't know what the truth is not enough information now it's time to ask about something else but it was interesting <laughs> to see tim cook leaning forward in his chair and getting probably the most sort of worked up i'd ever seen him in a in a public uh scenario like that uh, i also would have loved to have heard what steve jobs would have said to those same things i think he would have had his smirk more of a smirk and less of an earnest sort of anger either way there was no information like you couldn't draw any conclusions from that like tim cook i'm sure gave uh, a good answer but 60 minutes just is not going to air it which is a real shame I would love to see you interviewed on 60 Minutes, John, and to just see like how the heck they would edit that. That's the word. I like I feel I feel for <laughs> for those guys cuz they're getting interviewed for like, you know, half an hour, 20 minutes, 45 minutes an hour and they're going to take literally 5 sentences. And that's what they're going to air. 5 yeah. sentences. 5 of the most dramatic sounding sentences with no surrounding context, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't explain yourself before, you can't explain yourself. It's like they're just going to pull them out and that's what people are going to see and just like, why would they even agree to it? Why would they agree to be it? Because they have no control over what those sentences are. I, I don't like it. No, I mean, this is honestly, this is why I haven't rushed to watch it, because I figured, like, you know, TV interviews are so low density. You know, like, I, I feel like, you know, like, it, there's so little content in them. There's so much padding and time wasting in them. There's no smart speed. And it's just like, <laughs> wow, it's just so low density. There, there is on my TiVo. Oh, yeah, of course there is. Yeah, Simpsons did it and Opera did it first. Okay. We are also sponsored this week by Harry's. Go to harrys.com and use the promo code ATP to save $5 off your first purchase. Harry's offers high-quality razors and razor blades for a fraction of the price of the big razor brands. They make their own blades from their own factory in Germany. These are high-quality, high-performing German blades crafted by shaving experts, giving you a better shave that respects your face and your wallet. 
They offer factory direct pricing at a fraction of the big brands' prices. Harry's blades are about half the price of what you'd expect to pay for something like a Gillette Fusion, for instance, which I would say, in my experience, is the, the most directly comparable blade to the Harry's blade cartridges. I would say they're very, very similar to Gillette Fusion in shave quality. Way better designs for the handles and the products and the, and the cream and everything like that. They have this great starter set. They have $15. will get you a razor, moisturizing shave cream or gel, and three razor blade cartridges. When you need more blades, they're just $2 each or less. So an 8-pack is just 15 bucks. A 16-pack is just 25 bucks. And these are not double-edged safety blades. These are the full like razor blade cartridges. There's five blades in the cartridge. Very similar to the Gillette Fusion if you're used to that. Nice, easy-to-use disposable cartridges that are just really good quality for the price. An 8-pack of blades is just $15. A 16-pack is just $25. Now, a 16-pack of Fusion blades is... It's $56. That's more than double as much as what Harry's charges for what I would say, as I said, is a very comparable blade. And again, Harry's gives you way better designs, way classier looks, way better handles, much better cream and gel and everything else to go with it. And great service. You don't have to go to a drugstore. You just order it online and it comes to your door. Check it out today. Go to harrys.com. Use promo code ATP to get $5 off your first purchase. You can get a starter set today that includes a handle, three blades, and shaving cream for just 15 bucks shipped right to your door. harrys.com. Promo code ATP. Thanks a lot to Harry's for sponsoring our show once again. So a long time ago in a galaxy far... No, uh, a long time ago we, <laughs> we wanted to talk about something that came out of nowhere um, and it's a new service product company startup it's a new thing and it's called up there and it has a lot of ex apple people in it and john i think this was kind of your baby so what do you want to tell us about up there yeah bertrand surlay used to be in charge of apple software stuff in charge of like os 10 and everything back before there was ios and even a little bit after i think uh and he retired from apple uh a while ago, that's when Craig Federighi took over, basically. Um, and he disappeared to, I don't know, go on vacation and do whatever he wanted to do. But pretty quickly after he left Apple, there were rumblings like, oh, what's Bertrand's next thing? I guess you don't ever really leave. I guess you would just leave and become like, I don't know, a, a venture capitalist or support other technology things. Anyway, the, the whole the rumor was that he was involved in some kind of startup and they were doing something having to do with computers and... That's all anybody knew about it. I didn't pay too much attention to it. I figured he'll surface at some point. Uh, and he did surface a couple months back with this company called Up There. And it, when I went to their website uh, at first, it was like pretty impenetrable because like they say, you know, if you had a cloud to butt uh, translation on your on your, on your uh, web browser, it was like a lot of butts going on here. It was like they're doing something in the cloud and there are computers and it's like, well, how what is different about this company it seemed like they were saying they were going to store a bunch of your stuff on their servers so you wouldn't have to store it on yours yeah honestly i have looked at this it's been in the show notes for like two months i've looked at this every so often before the show and i cannot figure out what it is and why i why i need to care about it yeah and like the the quote i pulled from the ceo who is not bertrand surlay by the way he's just one of the founders um but the, the ceo roger bodammer says We'd like the word backup to vanish from the dictionary. We built a consumer cloud from the ground up. Oh, here we go. We questioned everything, literally. <laughs> we experimented a lot. We want the cloud to be the primary place for your data. So this is a fairly succinct summary. The, the whole idea is like, you know, it's kind of like a Chromebook. You don't back up a Chromebook because there's nothing on it that isn't already on, on you know, Google servers somewhere, right? And up there, the whole idea is 
don't worry about what's on your phone or on your Mac or wherever you want it to be. That's that's just like a local cache. That's not where the stuff is. Chuck your phone into the ocean. Who cares? There was nothing on it anyway. You're fine. All your stuff is up there in the cloud. Uh, and the the bit from here is like uh, from the second quote is we experimented a lot. They've been in stealth mode, as they say, for a long time. So who knows what they've been doing behind the scenes? But they do have a beta program, and I'm on the beta, and uh, it's a, it's a public beta program. You just sign up for it. I don't, you know. Um, and they have a couple of applications. There's a Mac application, and there's an iOS application. Those are the ones I use. Uh, and you launch them, and it's like, hey, we're this cloud thing. Sign up. They already have two-factor authentication, which I thought was really nice. Um, you know, out of the gate, because if you're going to be a cloud thing, like you don't add that like in your fifth year or something. It's important enough to have it now. Uh, and then it wants you to put stuff into their cloud. I'm like, all right. Well, they have like an easy button press. It's like, hey, do you want to put your photos library into the cloud? And it's it's my photos library, not like the family one. So my photos library only has like 10,000 photos in it or something. So I'm like, sure, here you go. Take those, you know, like, I mean, a lot of this is going on. I'm just trusting Bertrand Soleil. This is not like, a shady company or whatever. Um, and you can upload it and you can drag files into it or whatever. Just like, whatever, fine. So I told it to pull up my photos library and I just let it do its thing. And then it eventually uploaded my photos library. And then on the iOS application, I can go and I can browse through all of my photos in my photos library. Again, only like 10,000 or so. Um, there was some weirdness in that to, for, to get the phone totally synced, like I uploaded them for my Mac. And then to get the phone totally synced, it uh, there was the best way to do it was to have the phone in the application launched as like an option that says don't let don't let your phone go to sleep when when the application is in the foreground because i guess it uploads better or faster when the application is running and in the foreground and i didn't even know that was an option but apparently it is but anyway they got everything uploaded there they have a camera application as well which is kind of getting more into how this is supposed to work uh it's a camera for your phone and you launch this application instead of launching apple's camera application you take pictures but instead of the pictures going onto your phone the pictures go directly into the cloud and the pitch there is you'll never fill your phone with pictures, you know, and that's that's a real thing that a lot of people who have smartphones do is they take pictures, take pictures, take pictures, and then they fill up their phone. And iOS storage management is such that it, there's not a real easy way out of that without, oh, you need to have an iCloud photo library. Oh, do you have that turned on? Do you have uh, a Mac? And like, you know, the up there thing is it, we're never going to fill your phone because we don't put the pictures in your phone. You take the pictures and we immediately upload them. Now, obviously, Everything about up up there is predicated on you having a network connection and that network connection being somewhat reliable and somewhat, uh, you know, having a reasonable amount of bandwidth. So it's a forward-looking play um, where it's like the, the future is not going to be doing stuff locally and then figuring out how to sync it. The future is going to be pushing everything up. And that, that's a pretty safe bet. What it all comes down to, though, with this, that's why everyone hears about this and reads the website and thinks that it's like, well, whatever, you're like uploading stuff to a server somewhere who cares what it all comes down to is execution how well does it upload stuff to the server does it the sync ever get stuck does can i actually scroll through all ten thousand of my pictures how long does it take for the thumbnails to load and i don't know what exactly they're doing tech wise because the website is not illuminating i would imagine since they've been in stealth mode a really long time what they're trying to do is come up with a better interface than like the application uses POSIX APIs to do synchronous I.O. to your local disk. And then some demon process wanders the file system and like or Dropbox or whatever and finds things and opens an HTTP connection and shoves the files one at a time to our servers. Like that's the old way of doing things. I don't know if they're doing exactly that. 
Or if they, uh, you know, I'm imagining sort of all sorts of more interesting abstractions where instead of going through a, a POSIX file IO API, they have their own file IO API that does intelligent things like b- better support for streaming and batching of multiple things and like, uh, you know, handling failures better and being asynchronous instead of synchronous by default and being multi threaded and being able to use multiple connections and handling, you know, like. That's what I'm imagining is behind the scenes. But the bottom line is it uploaded all my pictures. And when I scroll through them, I can scroll through all of them and the thumbnails load and, you know, pretty fast. And when you go to the iOS usage screen to see how much disk space the up there applications are taking up, it's like nothing. It's like 90 megabytes. So I think it really is streaming all this stuff in real time from the cloud, as they say. Um, And like the pitch on their website is storing our entire digital lives photos video music and documents in a single place that is always accessible growing evolving and ready to share their they're sharing stuff is even better than apples already it's better than apples you can make like something they call a loop where you can have multiple people putting their putting their photos into a single bucket right and so like you know you could do that with a family photo library where the whole family could have camera applications and every picture they take could go into one giant shared thing where people can contribute and it's like it just seems like a forward-looking uh way to do everything and is the implementation good just because they have five beta testers and all five of us are are connected to their super fast (laughs) servers and it will be terrible when there's a million people could this scale to be the size of like apple music or icloud photo library i have no idea all i know is that whatever the heck they're doing it's working and apple should buy them because it's better than everything apple is doing even though there aren't a lot of features yet i'm just going by like did it upload my pictures? Yes. Can I see them all? Yes. Can I scroll through them quickly? Yes. Is it storing any files on my on my phone? Not as far as I can tell. So it does what it says on the tin, and it's pretty impressive. I I have been on the beta for like a week or two now. Because I didn't get a clear read on what the intention is for the app, in fact, you describing it has given me a much better understanding than than the very little bit of documentation I read. I didn't really know what to make of it. And like the Mac app, it has some tabs on the left. It has flow, which I guess is just kind of like a newsfeed sort of thing. It has photos and videos, music and documents. And it's not, I mean, I understand what those words mean. I understand that it's presumably I'm supposed to just start chucking things in these buckets, but it wasn't entirely clear to me what the long-term play is here. And I understand that a lot better. It seems to work well, like you said. I mean, I'm not, I haven't really tried much with it, but there's plenty of stuff there, and it certainly is streaming things from the cloud, like you said, uh, very quickly. Um, so initial impressions by me were confusion, but happy confusion, if that if such a thing exists. Now that I've heard you talk about it, I'm very interested to play with the iOS app, which I had never bothered to download. Maybe that was half my problem. Um, I'm very inter- interested to play with that and see how it goes. But it wouldn't surprise me if this was in some ways just an acquisition play to see if Apple is feeling desperate to get away from web objects and and, and hire a team that that can that can solve this problem once and for all. Well, presumably, like, that, that it's a tech play, that, that it's not just that they've done, like I said, that they're doing exactly the same thing everyone else is doing, just using HTTP connections with standard libraries and doing local file IO and just like doing that slightly better than, you know, 1% better than everyone else. It seems like the only reason this could ever be a startup is someone has some good ideas about how to abstract the file system and the network in a way that accounts for the modern world. That it is not like backward looking, like to some degree, like even Dropbox is that it's just a bunch of local files on disk. And this is other process that watches them and moves them up and down. Um, 
when I think about with like the thumbnails, like surely it is not loading each of those thumbnails one at a time. Surely it is either chunking them up or streaming them down or like it's not making a new connection for everyone. Definitely. Right. How is it dealing with like the size of the thumbnails and like just and, and how is it how is it keeping up with my scrolling and knowing which things it wants to, to load and stuff like that? And I mean, right now, like it's a beta, whatever, like I'm not putting anything. Nothing is only in, in up there because that would be ridiculous. Like my entire, you know, photo library, they're really smart to say there's a one button press. You launch a thing. It's like, do you want me to upload your photo library? All right. I mean, you don't use photos, so you didn't see that button or it wouldn't be useful to you. But for me, I'm like, fine, go ahead, because it's, it's just reading from the photos library and it keeps in sync with it and everything, too. And same thing when I when I take photos with the regular Apple camera app. It, like a million other apps, like remember the, the Dropbox camera app or whatever, we'll try to see when you take pictures with your photo app and it'll level those. What I'm basically using it now is a toy to play with every once in a while to see what the performance is like and try to figure out what the, what the heck they're actually doing behind the scenes. And yet another free backup for all of my photos. Uh, you know, the small photo library, not the big one. I thought about signing up my wife for it and, and trying to put the big library up up to the thing to see if it would choke on that because ten thousand is not that big of a challenge. What about sixty or seventy thousand? Now can you? But and maybe I'll do this as a torture test. But I would never put it only anything only in up there. And you know business model, I don't know. It's all free in beta, so who knows what they would charge for this stuff? So it's still a big question mark. Pricing is a pretty big question mark, though. Like like that that matters a lot to how how many people will even bother trying to adopt it in the first place uh, because photo libraries can be quite big. And if once you start once you start talking about like storing all of my stuff up there or all of my documents or even many of my documents plus all my photos plus you know other th- kinds of media like that gets very big very quickly especially if you have any video shooting. But their explanation and the people behind it make you think like obviously they would take that into account that their whole idea is that the old way of doing things the the way that everybody else is doing them was sort of using. 80s and 90s tech to, to solve like a problem that's really in the future for this future world where everybody has ubiquitous fast connections we're just you know getting closer every day that they are coming at it from that perspective so you know they must have smart solutions for not just the api and how to write applications into this back end but how the back end works how it's hosted how it's scaled how you know what the economics are how much does it cost for us to host x amount of data can we undercut everyone else's prices by using better technology because we can more efficiently store like i have again they don't tell you it's their secret you know whatever i have no idea what they're doing behind the scenes but all i can look at is the front end and the front end seems to work more smoothly than every other front end that i've tried whether it be dropbox or the microsoft's uh, OneDrive thing or google drive or like we've all tried all these different things what was that one bitcasa uh there's been so many different services that that are like this and you know there are good ones i use dropbox all the time like they're not they're not bad but this impressed me with just how sort of no nonsense and smooth it is and how i, I don't even know how they're doing it how like how is it that i'm able to scroll through ten thousand photos and the thumbnails like they're not there instantly there's little white squares initially but they come in pretty fast whole screens full of thumbnails i don't i have no idea how it's doing that but it's it's pretty impressive Assuming that this actually, you know, becomes a thing and and launches to the public with some kind of business model or something, would you obviously they don't want to be your cloud backup service. They want to be your primary storage. Uh and possibly your only storage therefore cuz is there even an easy way to like maintain a local copy of everything or do they really not want you to do that? Well, oh, that's what I'm getting at. I I don't know like maybe that's their long-term play obviously, but right now 
they are perfectly willing to be omnivorous. They will pull in content and say, like, you don't have to manually say, oh, I took some new photos with my phone. Like, they every time you launch the app, it will sync up any new photos you've taken. Anytime I add anything to my phone, like, I'm just using photos. I'm not using up there at this point. But up there is, every time I launch it, is pulling all that stuff in. So, you know, it, it's a great sort of on-ramp like they, they, they want to make it easiest for people to launch this app and say we know you have your stuff elsewhere and probably you want to keep your stuff elsewhere and probably you're only going to deal with elsewhere but we're here too and they would have to sort of get you into the flow by saying uh we're cheaper than your other hosting we're more reliable than photos eventually become trustworthy i mean realistically speaking they'll probably be bought by somebody before any of this happens but <laughs> because the tech does look impressive but you know, I don't see any reason why they. What you're getting at, I think, is like, would you even, would you ever like put your stuff in there? Right. Like, would would you trust it as primary storage? Because they're trying to get rid of backups. I don't know that I could do that. Well, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's aspirational. Like, obviously, no, <laughs> you can't get rid of backups because if a meteor hits your data center, I need my stuff. Right. So we're always going to have. I'm going to have you know my online backups and my time machine and my clone and. And it's the question of can you have local only copies? Well, yeah, if I just keep using photos and I have one of the Macs set to always have local copies of the photos and I have 17 backups of that, including online, like that's the way I would continue to go. But uh, I could see, for example, not enabling the the thing that lets you, you know, whatever it is, iCloud photo library that lets you see your entire library on your phone because it's too onerous or maybe en- enabling it but never going to it. Like, for example, when someone says, uh i like i like having access to the whole photo library someone someone asks a question like what you know what did one of your kids look like when he was three years old right i like being able to launch a thing on a phone and go to the year and say you know i have access to every single one of my pictures here but it's slower to do that with icloud photo library than it is to do that with up there uh just because it is like i can go to the year i can launch it faster the thing load faster and you know like that's that's a win for me if that, if that takes over that role where I no longer go to photos to look at my photos. I just go to up there because the same things are in both places and it has nothing to do with backups or whatever. It's a long road from there to the aspirational goal of like, hey, we keep all your stuff and that's where, but but I, I truly believe in that end state, not the end of backups, but maybe the end of backups for regular people, like where you could, where they could get it to the point where it's reliable and redundant enough that you won't be up. Because think about it now, you're obsessing with people like, have you ever backed up your phone? Have you enabled iCloud Photo Library? If I run over your phone with a car or chuck it into the ocean, did you just lose the pictures of your infant child who's now five years old because you've never emptied your phone before? The whole problem of filling your phone with photos? Like, all those concerns I would like to be addressed and go away. And I think Android is better at addressing them now, and Apple's catching up with the iCloud Photo Library, and up there is trying to say we're out, we're way out here at the extreme uh, at where you guys want to be. Uh, and uh, I, I'm just looking at it as a uh, competition between implementations, really, at this point, and their implementation looks pretty good. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week, Linode, Fracture, and Harry's, and we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do Search Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, It was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L
ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O, A-R-M, E-N-T, Marco Armen, S-I-R-A-C, U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. I do love the cloud to butt plugin. That is quite good. It's magical. Um, you spent well. Maybe you didn't spend any money this week, Marco. But you in you committed yourself to spending some money sometime soon. You want to tell us about that? I spent some. There's a deposit. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So uh, I ordered a Tesla, and you lost the bet. I know. I I knew already that I lost the bet, but nobody else did. Um, the bet was, and the, the and the winnings were just bragging rights. Uh, the bet was that Marco would absolutely get the performance version of whatever Tesla that he ended up buying, and that's because Marco doesn't typically know how to do halfway on anything. As it turns out, I lost the bet, and you did not get a P90D or a. P90, no D, or whatever it is. I forget the different permutations. What did you end up getting? Why don't you run it, run through the uh, setup with us? Uh, I got the 90D. So it is approximately M5 speed and maximum range available in a Tesla today. It's white uh, because it's the only color that cars can be in. Mm-hmm. No, just kidding. It's red. Um, <laughs> it's, this is going to be my first uh, non dark colored car in a long ever really and my first non-black car in a decade at least so red tesla 90d is coming in late march when my lease is up but i ordered it uh now to get take advantage of some discounts they were running before the end of the year what wheels did you get the 19 silver cyclone wheels um i know in in the pictures so i you know on red you can argue that the dark colored wheels would probably look better and in pictures they do um, first of all, I think up close, they look a little bit flat. Like they, they almost look like painted plastic. I know, I know they're not, but just like like the finish on them is kind of like flat and a little bit dull. They also, because it is just like you know a thin color coating on top of a regular. I don't know what what are these made out of? Steel, aluminum? What are they usually made out of? What metal? Uh, it depends. Anyway, so whatever metal it is, probably aluminum. The dark colored wheels, any kind of curb rash, anywhere, any scratch whatsoever on them that bright colored metal below it just shines right through and you can see it from a mile away and and sure enough like whenever i'd whenever i'd I'd be at a tesla dealer looking at these things there would often be customer cars parked in the lot like you know just getting serviced or people visiting to i don't know look at new teslas or whatever and every car i saw in person that was a customer owned car that had dark wheels on it had very visible scratches uh, on on them those people can't just drive just can't drive i drove went past a uh, black model s today with the big dark colored wheels at the supermarket there are red brake calipers too i think uh and there were no scratches on them yeah if it has the red calipers that is a p model uh, it was tempting to spend 20 grand extra just for red calipers but i did not um it wasn't really tempting well you, you get a lot more than red calipers but a point noted well but honestly so you you get the red calipers and you get the faster rear engines. You know, it has the, the D models have the two engines. The rear engine is faster, but those are actually the only two differences. Plus, you get less range. But like the suspension is all the same. Like everything else about the car is the same. I've confirmed this with multiple people from Tesla that they all they always say the same thing. In my drive, anecdotally, it certainly seems that way. The the only thing different is the engine, the red calipers, and you get the option for a spoiler on the back that I hate. 
So you got red, you got the 19-inch uh, Silver Cyclone wheels. What other options? You said 90D. Yeah, 90D, black interior, uh, sunroof. Uh, I got autopilot, range upgrade, premium interior, the, the big next-gen seats. I did not get the smart air suspension. Uh, I, this I was going to, and I did some reading and did some research, and uh, it sounds like the air suspension really does make the car feel more like like a Lexus, like, you know, like a cushier, softer ride. And I did not think that that was even what I wanted, let alone worth $2,500 extra on the purchase price, even though I'm leasing it. But, you know, it's still, that would be, I would pay probably half of that. Um, so I didn't get smart air suspension because I, I want a more firm, sporty ride. And I um, did not get the ultra high fidelity sound because I, I did a back-to-back test of those in the showroom and could tell very little difference in the two sound systems, and neither of them sounded great to me. Like They, they both sounded, honestly, pretty mediocre, um, so I figured I might as well not spend extra money on mediocrity. I did get the Sub-Zero weather package because I live in a place with real seasons, and I did not get the rear-facing seats because for the next three years that this lease will cover, uh, my wife and I decided that we would probably not be comfortable with our kid in those seats during this age period buy enough to make it worth getting them for an extra three thousand dollars what did you get as the interior trim like accent you can get uh like carbon fiber looking or you know that was actually a tough call the carbon fiber looks decent but kind of like hurt my eyes and and tiff's opinion here matters a lot because she as the passenger usually while i'm driving she sees the trim way more than i do because there's this big strip right in front of the passenger side and in the driver's side you don't really see much of it um so she didn't care for the carbon fiber, so I, you know, that was fine. Um, the two woods, they just have like a basically a glossy and a matte wood. I didn't like the, the look of the matte, um, so I was basically deciding between the glossy wood and the piano black. Um, the piano black, my current car has that. I know I like it. It is very nice. That being said, it shows fingerprints and scratches like crazy. But I decided ultimately I would rather have fingerprinted piano black trim because I just like it better. I would rather have that than perfect glossy wood trim. Hmm. You stoked? I am, yeah. I'm actually looking forward to to you know something new. I mean, you know, I mentioned before, it, I've loved having the M5. It's been great. Um, I do, however, miss all-wheel drive. Yes, I know they're adding it to the next model, uh, but it isn't there now. I also mentioned earlier that I really want a quieter car. BMW does not currently sell a, a quieter car that has all-wheel drive, that has a transmission that I would tolerate. Except maybe the, uh, is, is 335X drive still available in stick? You know, I don't know. Well, it's a 340 now anyway, but I, I honestly don't know. I would think not. I think, I think it might be. That would probably be the only option. The 5 Series is totally out because the 5 Series, you can't get, you can't, you can't get a stick with uh, all-wheel drive, if at all, anymore. And you can't get a DCT on any of the 5 Series. And I will not drive the Sport Auto. Yes, I've driven it. And no, it is not the same. So yeah, the, you know, the, the Tesla is, it, in some ways, it's not as good as, as the M5. And I'm not expecting it to match it in like the luxury feel features um like the the bmw interior is more luxurious feeling no question um i'm very much going to miss the heads-up display uh and the top-down parking camera that thing is the best uh real-time follow-up you can get a 340i x drive with a manual transmission okay so that is the only other car bmw makes that i would consider getting right now out of the new lineup but that also, I, I really don't like the F30 uh, 3-series, honestly. I, I don't like it. I don't like the, the steering system. I don't really care for the way it looks. And uh, and I think the interior has actually gotten lower quality in certain ways than the previous 3-series. And the lack of the all button on the climate control just kills me. 
Yeah, that is really insane. I don't know why you're not shopping Mercedes at this point. You never talk, neither one of you ever talk about Mercedes, but like Marco just bought a Tesla. He's now safely within the Mercedes, uh, you know, market. I, I did. I, uh, on a recent trip, I actually, I rented a Mercedes because I, I, I was on a trip about a year ago and I had to rent a car and I rented a, uh, is it the E-Class there version of the 5 Series, the middle one? Yeah. Yeah. So I rented an E something something. It was like the V6 roughly 300 horsepower like like basically their version of 335 or the 535 well i wouldn't say that but yeah anyway so i rented that and i drove it for a few days and it was a really nice driving car but definitely not for me overall like i i think they i think first of all i don't care for mercedes designs very much i think they're a little bit dated for me whoa, 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 whoa. when you say that you mean exterior design Yes. Oh, see, I think they've gotten pretty lately. Although, that being said, the brand, brand, brand new ones are very bubbly, and I'm not as into that. But up until about this year or the year prior, there was like a five-year stretch where they went from really, really, really boring to actually very pretty but for me it's a non-starter because they don't believe in three pedals i know but like but he doesn't have three pedals anymore anyway and he hasn't he hasn't for two cars i understand like but i feel like a mercedes s-class is like when you come back from your electric hangover you should you, look, <laughs> you should you should look at the s-class because by then the s-class might be electric it, it might be i don't know but i also i i really don't care for the mercedes um media system well those change every year no they do not these not mercedes <laughs> well every five years whatever but yeah no they're all they're all terrible and I, I understand oh yeah i mean i'm not saying i'm gonna be tesla forever i'm saying i'm gonna be tesla for the next three years because that, that's this is one of the reasons i lease cars but uh so i i i'm looking forward to trying something new to trying electric to it being you know truly different and honestly you know as as, as i said when i drove them to it really feeling modern really feeling like today and you know in three, you know, in three years, when I have to choose my next vehicle, whether I get another Tesla or something else, by that time there will probably be more all electric options or or more compelling electric options from the other luxury brands. Right now, there really isn't much. There, there will definitely be, yeah. Ever, ever, they've all got the Tesla fighters in, in the works. Yeah, like that that Porsche concept looks really nice. Honestly, I don't know if that will if that would pan out into something, and God knows how much it will cost when if it does. But it does look really nice on paper, at least. We'll see what happens with Mercedes and BMW and Audi and you know and and you know even Acura and you know, any anybody else. We'll see what happens in their electric department. Right now, as I have to make a decision right now, Tesla is by far my favorite option of what I have, of what's available right now. Well, I'm excited for you. Um, this should be this should be really awesome. It's going to be sad to not have you personally in the BMW family anymore, but at least your family will still be a BMW family. Don't worry. I'm sure at some point we'll be back. <laughs> to be honest, like there is a lot about the way BMW does things that I do prefer. You know, I do prefer not having a giant touch screen. I think you know, like we'll see again. We'll see what happens when I get it. But I do think I'm going to prefer still having hardware knobs to giant touch screens if given the choice. I do certainly like a heads-up display, and I do like the the BMW quality interior that's in the five series. So maybe eventually there will be a, an all-electric five series that will be really compelling. Um, that will be nice to me. Uh, that because that will eliminate the problem I have with the regular five series of having a transmission I hate. Uh, if they can move to not having a transmission, that 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 does solve the problem. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Did you ask the Tesla people if the Model S is designed for short trips? <laughs> will this can this get egg salad, or will it? Is it not designed for that? 
chicken salad, John. Uh, sorry, chicken salad. I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking with my stomach. I prefer egg salad. Why? What? Yeah. This is worse than the Windows thing. What? What? I mean, I'm not against chicken salad. I like chicken salad, but my go-to was I would get uh, a cinnamon raisin bagel with egg salad on it, wrapped up in wax paper, and then cut in half through the wax paper as, you know, as is proper. Okay, there are so many things wrong with this. Concur. First of all, a cinnamon raisin bagel does not belong with any of the salads. That is a, that is a, that is an illegal combination. You are wrong. You are so wrong about that. You don't know what you're missing. John, you're out of your mind. Second of all, egg salad only belongs on bread, not bagels, because what? it is such a soft filling that you bite into a bagel and it squeezes out. No, that's the, I understand. I understand the difficulties. The whole the magic is getting that right. It seems like it shouldn't work. It seems like it should be a disaster that you would bite down and that all it would do is cause the bagel to choose the egg salad shooting out the side and you would yes. just be left with an empty bagel. But no, it can be done. <laughs> we have the technology. Oh, my God. The wax paper is key. You know you know the wax paper. I don't know if your local delis do that, but you know the wax paper thing? It holds it in during cutting, basically. Right. But they wrap it really tightly and hold it in during cutting and you can sort of move the wax paper back and eat it and it won't come shooting out the sides and if the bagel is fresh and it's not like a stale big hard brick type thing you can actually bite it and not lose all of your egg salad it's a delicate balance i understand this is this is i haven't had a good one of those i don't know in how many decades because ever because it's a terrible concept no agreed it's it's a great concept (laughs) and and you don't know this here's a little advanced technique for you with if you want to make a bagel sandwich at home for example say you want to have peanut butter and jelly on a toasted bagel which is fabulous by the way no that's i was i was about to say like because i I, in high school i worked at a bagel shop and the it was always a disaster whenever somebody would order peanut butter and jelly on a bagel because that of that squeezes out like crazy i know i know so let me let me i'm gonna give you a little some tips here peanut butter and jelly on a toasted bagel at home how can you possibly make that work it seems like it shouldn't work at all right you don't no no you do we have we have ways all right so you toast the bagel and then one half of it you sort of dig a trench for the jelly to go in you don't pull out all the insides leaving just the shell but you dig a trench then you put the jelly in the trench the peanut butter is that legal the peanut the peanut butter will stay on its own for the most part then you assemble it you can eat that sandwich nothing will squirt out the sides if assembled correctly, nothing will squirt out the size, and what you have is a toasted peanut butter and jelly bagel sandwich. The things I do with bagels, I understand. This is, these are advanced techniques. Advanced? That I'm not sure that oh, counts, first of all. God. Oh, it counts. It counts. You can do that with tuna as well. When I put tuna on a bagel, it's <laughs> key to hollow out some part of it. And you eat the part that you take out. It's not like you're just throwing it away. The trick is not take so much out of it that you're just basically left with just a crust, right? You have to take out just the right amount. Well, tuna has enough, you know, tuna is very similar to chicken salad in texture. Like, it has enough strength internally to tolerate bagel usage. Yeah, but you can get more, you can get more in there. Anyway, you don't always have to do it with tuna. You're right. It can hold together more like chicken salad. I like tuna salad, and I like bagels, and I like bagels with tuna or chicken salad on them. At no point have I ever had a bagel with tuna salad or chicken salad and thought, I need to find ways to shove more of it in here. Oh, well, I, I've thought that. Because you can fit a lot in the regular way. Yeah, yeah, it really depends on how stiff your mixture is, you know. This is the worst. John. Anyway, these are all good things, and I'm getting hungry even thinking about them. You're so wrong. You're so wrong. What am I wrong about? What are you talking about? These are all delicious things. These are all delicious things that you can make in your own home. You, these are terrible. They're terrible things. To, no. Yeah, everything you've just said has been wrong. Yeah, no, I concur. No. First of all, I'm not going to take any any input about what's proper way to eat uh, bagels from uh, someone who lives in Virginia. Second of all, I'm also not going to take that input from somebody who just recently moved to New York. Oh, which one of us is in New York right now? Oh, 
recently moved to New York. Yeah, like eight years ago. <laughs> Did not grow up there. Now, what? Oh, no, it's, I already got egg salad. I, I'm just, I'm so, I can't get past. Are you, are you against egg salad? Or is this an, some anti-egg salad? Egg salad is delicious. I, I In general, I, I think I am against it. And I, I've eaten a lot of egg salad in my life. Oh, then now the truth comes out. Against egg salad. Marco Armand against egg salad bed for America. No, this is why I don't. This is why I can't <laughs> blog anymore. No, I think That's this, right. Go ahead. You, you write your blog against egg salad. You'll see what happens. No, see, to me, egg salad is not worth it when you have other options that are similar to it. So, like, if all you have in a store is egg salad, fine, I'll eat egg salad. But if right next to it is tuna salad and chicken salad, those are both way better. So wh- I can't think of any context in which I would choose egg salad. If chicken salad or tuna salad or cream cheese or any other like sandwich topping were available. Oh no! I mean, the, the, I, I like all of those things. Those are all good. I feel like you just have to mix it up. You don't you have the same thing every day. You know, maybe I mean maybe your place makes better chicken salad than they make egg salad, but good egg salad. You cannot turn your nose up at that. I have never had egg salad that was good enough to overcome decent chicken salad yeah like i've had i've had egg salad where i've tasted it and be like oh yeah this is fine but that's like the most i've ever thought about egg salad is it's fine in other forms like i love deviled eggs which are very similar really you know deviled eggs have a lot of similarities in taste and ingredients to egg salad just in a different shape and preparation uh but you know i, I love eggs in other forms just egg salad is ah uh, it's just so mediocre compared to the other mm-hmm. options that it's usually yeah, next to it's, it's good mm. stuff if you like eggs it's good stuff it's egg salad is the sesame bagel of the salads. You're, oh, you're going to come out against sesame bagels now? Forget it. Forget it. Sesame bagels. What do you have against sesame bagels? They are one of the greatest bagels. But it, th- what I have against them is similar to what I have against egg salad. It's not worth it when you have better options nearby. So it's like a sesame bagel is fine. I've had many sesame bagels in my life. They're fine. He's someone who eats chocolate cake for every meal. Why would you have anything else if you could have chocolate cake for every meal? You gotta have the sesame bagel, John, man. John, you've been out of New York far too long. You've lost touch. It, it, it's over. No, I am the only one here who is in touch. We've got, you've got you who's in Virginia, and we've got him who's coming from the world outside of bagels, who has only recently been introduced to them. He's trying to find his way. Which one of us goes to a bagel shop every day in New York? Oh, that's right. I, I'm saying like you're you're coming from Ohio or wherever, just trying to figure out this crazy new world and making it up as you go along. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you the way it is. Oh my god! I, why would you? Uh, yeah, go go get a sesame bagel with egg salad against sesame bagels and against egg salad. This is not a position you want to stake out. Compare that to. An everything bagel with chicken salad, which is right next to those. So you can't, that's, that's the whole thing. Like, you're going to have everything on it. You're always going to have it on everything. Not that everything bagels are great, right? But the whole idea that every single time you have it, you have the most, you know, the best topping, the, the bagel with the most stuff on it. It's like sometimes you got to have, you know, there's a certain place for the poppy seed bagel, the sesame seed bagel. Sometimes you can have the plain bagel. Why would anyone ever have a plain bagel? People do. It happens. Sometimes that's the right combination. Oh, my God. Oh my God. You know, you didn't. I thought. I thought <laughs> I you had turned around this. by not getting the really expensive Tesla, but you're still getting the everything bagel only with chicken salad because you can't bring yourself to have anything that you consider lesser. But they're not lesser; they're just different. No, I mean, I, I have different bagel orders. Like, I love a toasted bagel with butter. And if you're gonna have a toasted bagel with butter, everything is a good choice. But so is rye or pumpernickel. Why like, would you have rye if you could have everything? <laughs> 
doesn't make any sense anyway because those things are actually good sesame seed bagels are good like they like i would say a, a proper a proper toasted rye bagel with butter is just as good as a toasted everything bagel with butter but a sesame bagel is like you have the plain dough so the dough just tastes like any other plain dough flavored bagel and the topping is included in everything and itself has almost no taste <laughs> it's got everything it's already there <laughs> wait well have, let's, let's try to find some common ground here caraway seeds and everything bagels yes or no no what Ew. all right good just making sure that some people some people want that no everything bagels require five things sesame poppy garlic onion and salt if it's missing any of those things don't leave out the salt midwestern people if it's missing <laughs> any of those things it is not a proper everything bagel some people like the caraway seeds i gotta say no to that that's that also some people put sunflower seeds on them which is illegal that's... no forget about this california no. people just forget about <laughs> yeah they shove an avocado on there Ugh. I just I can't handle this conversation, John. You're so out of touch. It's just it's it defies description. <laughs> I'm not out of touch. I'm the only one who's in touch. I'm the only one with authentic bagel experience. You up there in Connecticut have got nothing, and Marco is uh, a tourist. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Bagel eating world. Email John this week and tell you which of us is right. There's no bagel eating world. It's not. It's not a democracy. It's the people who live in the New York metro area and everybody else, and everyone else is wrong, and we are right. Yeah. Wait, wait. You don't live in the New York metro area. I did. I lived there. I. I'm from there. I will. It will never leave me. You can take the whatever out of New York. You know, complete the saying yourself. Yeah, but you left it, and I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're upstate. <laughs> oh my God, I can't. I can't <sighs> handle this. I can't. It's a Christmas miracle. Oh God, I hate you, John, so much right now. You're so wrong. This is terrible. This really is worse than the like 90 windows thing. <sighs> Uh, I don't know. I know. I can't believe you come out against sesame bagels. Seriously, there's going to be protesters outside your house. Ugh, a sesame bagel with egg salad. It's terrible. It's so boring. No, I don't. I, sesame, I was not. See, I, I have certain. It's like pairing, you know, pairing wine with meals. No, it's not. You know, that, that, that's that skill. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, that's where you're wrong. You don't even understand. You don't even know this is a skill that you can have, let alone have the skill. It's like pairing lightly flavored water. Pairing the bagel oh, type God. with the thing you put on it is a skill. I agree. I just don't think you have it. Well, you, your answer is put everything goes on an everything bagel. Not necessarily. <laughs> All right, here, here, let me, I, will, I will fix this. Marco, do you or do you not put locks on a bagel? Well, I don't, I don't like fish and I don't like locks. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're, you're already wrong. But I recognize that You've ruined my many moment. people love putting locks on bagels. And were I to choose a bagel for locks, everything would be pretty high on the list because I know people like that kind of like salty garlic uh, uh, onion flavor with the lox. I know it's a very common combination. John, do, would you do lox on a bagel? I also don't eat fish. You know that. Oh, God. Finally, we agree. You too. So ignorant. It's not ignorance. We just don't like fish. That's the way it is. I, but see, but I've tried it. Like, I know what I'm missing. And I like every time I say I don't like fish for for years, like Tiff would be like, you just have to have good fish. Everyone would say, oh, you have to have good fish. Same thing. Like, I don't like sushi either. Uh, there's some overlap there. And everyone's like, oh, you haven't had good sushi. And eventually somebody brings me to a place where they say, OK, this is good X thing I don't like. And I try it and I give I give it an honest shot and I hardly ever end up liking it. <laughs> but at least I but I can at least say then, OK, I at least know what I'm missing now. I and I have confirmed that I honestly don't like this, but I've had the good thing. Maybe I can see why you like it, you know, but I can't see why anybody would ever order a sesame bagel for anything. That's why I try Marco's coffee when I'm there. <laughs> just <laughs> like in it, case. It seems like if you were going to get a sesame bagel, you might as well just get plain. Or if you if you want if you want flavor and stuff, you get an everything. Can all agree on sesame? 
Only you are agreeing on Sesame. Me and the rest of the New York metro area who's not upstate. Oh. The sesame, the sesame bagel is—it's like that. That's like that's like the Dell computer. Sesame bagel is one of my favorite kind of bagels. Like I like them all. What, like, do, you, what just, do you put on it? If obviously, so in in your expert bagel pairing experience, things that things that pair well with sesame, sesame bagel with butter on it, toasted, is very nice. <sighs> sesame with tuna, very nice. If I if I had to get chicken salad at your deli, I would probably go with sesame. Oh, that would be an insult. No, it wouldn't. 